What's going on, guys? Uh, Tyler here, and just wanted to let everybody know that we uh, we made a bit of an error on this week's show. We uh, we already got the re- recording done for this week and already did the podcast, but on the show, we let everyone know uh, some exciting news. We're doing some rebranding and renaming the show, things like that, and of course, that comes with a new Twitter handle, and we thought... We had one wrapped up that we don't anymore. So we made an error on the show. Our our new Twitter handle is not uh, Tailgate Show. We thought at Tailgate Show was available, and it's not. And you know what? I'm blaming this one on Will. You know, <laughs> I'm blaming Will for this one. Will got excited. He saw a, a Twitter handle that he had to have, and he thought it looked juicy. And as everyone knows, you know, when Will sees something juicy, I see something that looks juicy, and I want to have it. That is absolutely the case so either way uh, our our new twitter handle get your pens and paper out get your phone out get ready to jot it down we got a new twitter handle we are at cfb underscore pod i know we got an underscore going how how fun is that how 2020 is that underscore baby we're bringing the underscore back we're bringing it back so it's cfb underscore pod once again, at, a little at sign, right? At CFB underscore P-O-D. Uh, so just wanted to let everyone know that was the case with our new Twitter account. Enjoy this week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to College Football Tailgate. That's right. Uh, the artists formerly known as College Football Weekly. We are changing the name officially. Uh, kind of a big announcement. You know, it's been a big year for us uh, to start the last few months. And so we decided we were going to change the name. So from now on, the good news is if you're subscribed, you won't have to do anything. The logo might change. The name is going to change. But if you are already subscribed on Spotify, iTunes, whatever, you'll now be subscribed to College Football Tailgate. So welcome, welcome to the tailgate. I'm your host, Will Chambers. With me, as always, Tyler Walji. Hello, mate. And producer Smitty. What's up, guys? What's the name up? may change, but the game stays the, the same. The game stays the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're the tailgate now. Uh, we kind of felt like it was just a little, you know, we just like the name better, I think, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, maybe it's a Christmas present to ourselves. You guys have a good, Merry Christmas to everyone out there, Merry by the way. Merry Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas, Harry. Yeah, today, <laughs> happy Christmas, Roland. <laughs> We're recording this on uh, December 26th, the day after Christmas. It's Boxing Day. We, it's Boxing Day in Canada, right? Uh, and England. And England. Yes. Um, I don't know what Boxing Day really is. So but okay. box, Boxing Day is uh, it's an it's an older holiday, and it used to be for the servants in the UK. And what would happen is all the royalty and everyone with money in the UK would box up presents the day after Christmas and give oh. it to their servants. And the servants would often get the day off and take boxes home to their families. So it's an old tradition that's sort of now it's more of just like uh, uh, the Black Friday for Christmas in England, things yeah. like that. Uh, so yeah, it's just kind of been an old holiday they kept around and now it's just more about shopping, you know, th- so things like that. But. I figured if, if it was in Europe, you might as well just throw on some boxing gloves and just hit people. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what boxing day well, was. I used to think it was actually like a boxing thing. They, uh, knock uh, your head off the old, uh, the bloke, uh, business manager at my radio station was from England and she used to celebrate it. And of course they used to. Work me like a racehorse back then. She so didn't I was box all, up gifts for you. No, they on did. No one, day? no one did that. But I was always working on the twenty sixth, of course, for the little pay I got back in radio. And uh, yeah, I just remember that that the day after Christmas, Boxing Day. So 
Merry Christmas to everyone. Yes. Happy Boxing Day. Yeah, Merry Christmas. We realized Happy that uh, after we recorded last week, we didn't, we never wished a Merry Christmas to everyone. We're so trying to be sensitive in 2020. We hope that everyone uh, enjoyed the holidays and uh, and had a great time. Uh, and we had a couple bowl games. Look, we got a great show today. Uh, we are going to recap the couple games that we had from last week. We're going to go over. We got Heisman finalists. And then, of course, we're going to break down all of the big bowl games that remain and the playoffs. We're going to give our best bets. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But Tyler, we should start. You're just on fire with your with your bet board. You hey, got another bet board I win. I am on fire. It was the uh, was that the pinstripe bowl or no? Which which bowl? It was BYU versus pinstripe bowl. Uh, UCF. Yeah. That's right. I it was can't the New Mexico New bowl Mexico bowl. That's being right. Played in Frisco, Texas. Of course. No, that was the Hawaii. Hawaii was playing in the New Mexico bowl. Oh, that's which right. one was it? Which, by the way, uh, if we can talk about that game quickly, it was a Houston and Hawaii. We, there were no other games the day before Christmas. There was one game on in any sport, and it was college football. And you guys know I like to have a little action. Of course. A little action out there. So I forced a teaser, which is always good. Yes. And it just lost in flames. Yeah, Hawaii, uh, Hawaii won that game outright. I, they were like 14-point dogs. I teased... Uh, <laughs> It's so stupid, so square. I teased Houston in the over. Oh, I just wanted some action. And, and it went under and, and, <laughs> and Hawaii. <laughs> That's rough. Exactly. That's rough. Uh, the BYU-UCF game was the Boca Raton Bowl. Oh, of course. The Del Boca Vista Bowl. Del Boca Vista Phase 2. And uh, <laughs> Tyler, you were right. BYU was just... Uh, they were the class. Th- that game was over the second it started. BYU went up 21 nothing. Zach Wilson had a, had a big day. He had five total touchdowns. And UCF just wasn't able to come back and make it close at any point. Um, BYU, you know, I, maybe I overreacted a little bit from their game against Coastal Carolina. They looked more like the BYU team we had seen all year. Yeah. And that's probably Zach Wilson's last game at BYU. Right now he's being projected at a lot of places as being a top five you know, draft pick, one of the first two or three quarterbacks taken off the board. I think he's the uh, Justin Herbert of this year's draft. Oh, really? You know what's funny? I mean, look, it's everyone gets to give their prediction on which quarterbacks in college will do well, but it's just such a crapshoot. No one really knows. I, I was so convinced that – uh, that Justin Herbert wasn't going to be anything good in the NFL. Me as well. Uh, same thing when it came to Lamar Jackson. I was like, this guy can't do it. And it just goes to prove, people can tell you that they knew it all along, all the way. But unless you take the guy first overall, and he's awesome, it kind of proves, you know, look, if the Chiefs had known what Patrick Mahomes was going to be, they would have traded up to, to take him. I think he went, what, number 10 or something like that? Yeah. Well, so, and they did trade up to take him. But Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get many of those guys... I mean, drafting quarterbacks though it's so random yeah it's a crap it's, shoot. it's crazy the whole I mean, draft is a crap shoot yeah it seems like it but quarterbacks and maybe it's because they rank quarterbacks so essential and they're being taken so often in the first round so we see them fail but yeah i don't know it's it's funny like for for years and years it was always those quarterbacks who came out of North Dakota State, right? Carson Wentz. Right. And they would succeed. But then quarterbacks who came out of Notre Dame, i.e. Brady Quinn, uh, you know, they wouldn't succeed. Clawson, yeah. Exactly. A bunch of those guys. I've thought for a long time, and I still believe this, it's that when you're playing in Notre Dame or Alabama or Clemson, you know, like, that's why I think the book is still out on Trevor Lawrence. We know how freaking talented this guy is, but he's behind the best line, never gets touched, thrown to the best receivers, they're three yards open, 
you don't have to do anything that you have to do in the NFL. And these quarterbacks who grow up in, again, North Dakota State, maybe it's a lesser school. Uh, uh, Russell Wilson, he played at Wisconsin and NC State. I mean, these aren't exactly powerhouses. So when you play quarterback at a school where you're getting pressure, not the best offensive line, your receivers aren't getting separation, I think it, you're more ready for the NFL. I think it's just a, the, the, the nature of how things go. Yeah, I'm not the first one to say it. Quarterback position is the most dependent position on the field. And I'm not just talking about wide receivers you need to have a running game you need to have a, a, an offensive line good Compliment, coach too good coach complimentary defense and i think these guys that go to smaller schools are more kind of battle tested i guess i, should I think say. so yeah. for sure and it's also we can't ignore the system that certain people run like i think that it helps uh, uh trevor lawrence a lot that deshaun watson succeeding right from that clemson branch yeah. from that clemson offense look what happened to uh, dwayne haskins he gets into the nfl and his biggest knock is he doesn't know how to call play. He doesn't know how to run a huddle. Right. Everything's coming in from the sidelines at Ohio State. So what are we hearing now? Justin Fields knocked down a little bit because he's coming from that system. So that's also a really big thing that I think we overlook. What system are you coming from? And some of these guys who graduated five, ten years ago are helping the guys who are there now. Yeah, and Zach Wilson looking good. Uh, you know, hopefully he can have some success in the NFL. I really like the kid. And Tower, you were right on, and now you're up. 11 to 6 on the bet board. It was 1 6 to 6. Yes. And it was 1 6 to 5, Will. And my favorite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Tyler's really got uh, six straight wins here. He's really reeling them off. We are up, up five with 11 games to go, though. Yeah. 11 games that's true. to go. We, we, yeah, we got bowl games. We got a lot of bowl games we're breaking down today. So maybe I'll have a chance to get back. I don't know. It's going to take quite the comeback for me to uh, get back in this one so we'll see but we've got a lot I mean today's show's packed we got a lot of Christmas stuff and it then like I said 11 games were breaking down so get the popcorn out sit back relax because we are doing some breakdowns today yep and before we get to that we got to touch on a couple things we had some big things happen in college football uh, we got our Heisman finalist that wasn't really a huge surprise I think at this point everyone expects Mac Jones to be the front runner and probably the the winner but I do think he'll get some votes you know kind of siphoned off I don't think it'll be a runaway by any means and then we had Auburn hired their head coach. They hired Brian Harson. I love it. Boise State's head coach. This is such an interesting one because we've never we've seen, you know, we saw Chris Peterson jump from Boise State to Washington stay in the region. We saw uh Hawkins was it, the guy who left Boise State to go to CU. Once again, somewhat regional. There's never been a guy go from uh, the Mountain West and kind of the Northwest region down to the SEC. This one is going to be really interesting. I think he's a great coach, but how many coaches have we seen succeed at a program like Boise State where you usually have better talent than the, the teams you're playing? And now he gets thrown into the you know, into the fire pit at Auburn. You got to play Alabama every year. You got to re recruit against those guys. I don't know if he has any ties to the South whatsoever. Uh, you know, look, I I'm sure he's a great coach, but I think this is a reach on this one, in my opinion. I love the pick. I mean, He's kept Boise State afloat. You know, when, when a lot of times the concern is with schools like that, when your coach leaves, the success is going to leave with it. Like, I promise you, when Hugh yeah. Freeze leaves Liberty, they're not going to be the same Liberty team next yeah, year. For I guarantee sure. that. And that happens all the time, but we've seen a history of success at Boise. That's why, to your point, I think it's, it is interesting because it's not all Brian Harson. He didn't take over a program that was winless. Then they're winning the Mountain West and things like that. And again, to your point on top of it, He's playing with better talent, but this guy knows football. Like, I, I just, whenever they would play these big games, like, like this year, I mean, they were without their first and second string quarterback for a lot of the season, and they found ways to get it done. Like, they, they, they never quit. They always look like they're the best coach team on the field, and I'm excited for it. I want to see more of this, more coaches who don't coach in SEC country getting an opportunity down there, because I think that while we would all agree it's 
probably the toughest region to coach right now in college football. Yeah. It's also the the densest in terms of the the amount of players. Uh, Auburn already right now loaded, and it goes both ways. You know, BYU, or, uh, uh, Boise State for a lot of years did have the talent, and they were often one of the better teams in the Mountain West, but Auburn can recruit with the best in the country. I mean, yeah. it's not like Auburn's slacking with that. Now, of course, they're going to be behind Alabama, but uh, right now in terms of expectations, I would expect Auburn to be the second, third best team in the West the next five years, for interesting. sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an interesting hire, and I, I hope he, he does well there. It would, be, it would be such a cool story to have a guy go from Boise State to a program like Auburn and have success. That is kind of, you know, it it kind of fits the mold of like those classic college football uh, historical coaches that come through where they come from a school where they were doubted or a smaller school they end up at a big one. And... You know, I, I, I want to see him do well, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to have to see it on the field before I before I believe it. No, Auburn fans, at least on social media, were, were accepting him. Yeah. I mean, oh, it was about 50-50. Half of them said, excited to have you, coach. Welcome. And the other half, ah, how the hell can you hire this no-name from the Mountain West? This guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I saw a lot of negativity about the hire. See, and that, that's where that's where I'm kind of coming from. Is is we we've talked about you know us being Buffalo's fans. Is is I think this move might have been a little too early. But you just fired Gus Malzahn. Wouldn't you like to see? It, it, it seemed it seems like a a a, a bridge hire. Well, it, that depends on where Brian Harson is ranked in terms of the Auburn athletic director and the rest of the country. Because if Auburn's AD sure. got wind that, oh, shit, Brian Harson's going to be very popular this offseason, then they did it at right. the right time. If well, that he, wasn't the case and maybe he wasn't going to be interviewing for jobs, maybe they did rush it. But look, if my school, Ryan, we're fans of the University of Colorado, right? Last season, Mel Tucker left CU high and dry at the end of the process. If you're going to do this, I'd rather rip the Band-Aid off, make the moves, make the changes. And we are in an era where no one cares, it seems, about bowl games unless you're in the, the Final Four. Right. Well, and, and I guess that's what I'm kind of saying is is it, it has to do with the athletic department. And are, are you going for a big name or what do you really see in this guy? So, and again, going back to the University of Colorado, when they first hired hired Carl Carl Durrell, I was like, "Who is this guy? What the <laughs> hell are we doing?" <laughs> exactly. And so, so I, I I guess you're right. So, well, he wasn't their first choice. The rumor was that they were trying to get Brett Venables from Clemson, and that he turned them down. And then basically the next day is when you saw uh, that. So it sounds like Brian Harson was probably their second or maybe even third choice and look Brett Venables has been number one on a lot of teams lists for years people have been trying to pull that guy away from Clemson for so long but the rumor was that he turned them down you know I'm sure some of the fans probably wanted Hugh Freeze maybe they wanted uh the guy from uh uh, Jamie Chadwell from uh Coastal Carolina but he just got a big extension so you know look we're gonna see obviously in the future how this pans out my biggest question truly is is does who who is he gonna put on his staff who's he gonna surround himself with and is he going to be able to recruit? I mean, look, we Tyler said it. The SEC is full of talent. That region is full of talent. But if you don't have the connections down there, it's going to be hard to get going. You know, maybe in a couple, two, three years, he shows some success on the field. Uh, that starts to to help the recruiting. But does he does he know any of the co- the high school coaches down there? Because I can tell you one thing: Boise State's not doing a ton of recruiting in the southeast. 
You know, uh, they're staying mostly regional. They're trying to pull kids from the West Coast for the most part. I'm sure they've gotten a few, but, you know, none of the four- and five-star guys are going to Boise State if they're from Tennessee or Alabama or Florida, right? It's going to take this first year to whet everyone's appetite down there and to get these kids looking at Auburn. But, I, I you know, you also wonder. Auburn does have a certain amount of power down yeah, there. Yeah, for and, sure. And you wonder how much Brian Harson can do with the brand because he is going to have to change the perception of, of what's going on now at Auburn. And the question is, what is he going to run? I yep. mean, they are set right now to run more of a, a spread type of offense. Yep. And so, yeah, a lot of question marks, but I like the hire overall. Not the only hire either. Arizona, they hired Jed Fish as their head coach. So he was the quarterback's coach for the Patriots. Jeb Bush? Jed Fish. Ah, old, okay. old fishy. <laughs> Jeb Bush from Florida. No, uh, he, and before that, he was on the UCLA staff recently. I actually know him because he was on Harbaugh's Michigan staff the first two years there. He was the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Michigan. And Michigan fans love this guy. He did a, a good job at making some bad quarterbacks look you know, better than they were, we thought. And uh, once he left Michigan, the passing game wasn't doing well, and lots of Michigan fans were always calling for, let's hire Jed Fish back, let's get him back. You know, I don't know if he's going to succeed at Arizona. I don't think that's an easy place to succeed. But uh, I can tell you that he's an offensive mind, and I think you'll see a good passing game moving forward from Arizona. But once again, you know, this is Arizona probably didn't have a lot of options. Um, This guy's been, you know, kind of in line for a head coaching gig somewhere for a while now, obviously most recently in the NFL. But, um, you know, an an interesting hire, no doubt. And, uh, you know, yet to be seen if he's going to be successful there. Yeah, I think that was about as good as Arizona could have done given the situation. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, From hiring to firing, we had some big names get fired. Bo, uh, you fired. Bo Pelini fired from LSU as a defensive coordinator after just one year. That LSU defense was horrible this year. Um, I mean, you got to wonder what what's left for Bo Pelini's career after this. I mean, he was at Youngstown State for years after getting fired from Nebraska. He comes, he leaves that job where he was pretty successful to just one year as a defensive coordinator, trying to get back maybe into the uh, FBS division or whatever the you know the Power Five, and it did not go well. He's fired, and LSU shaking up the whole staff. Steve Ensminger, the offensive coordinator, he's retiring into an analyst position. You got to wonder if he was forced out, but Coach O clearly, you know, not uh, not happy with what happened this year, and he's going to shake up the staff. No rumors yet on who he is going to replace those guys with. But so honest news. question for you guys: If Coach O didn't win a national championship last year, do you think LSU would have fired him this year? Oh, yeah. oh my God, Definitely. he would have been on the hot seat. Yes. I still think I, the, I, the book is out on Coach O. I, I think so too, and I think that's why you saw a lot yeah. of uh, of those those vacancies sure. open up is just because you can't fire a coach after a look I, I don't know that you can say the the, co- the book is out i mean he won an after championship and yeah was it all him no he, he brought in a great staff but you got to give him credit for doing that and, and i don't know you know maybe the leash isn't as long as some other coaches for winning an after championship because this year was so bad but if he can bring the right staff in this year if he can get some guys to make that that defense look more like what we expect from lsu bring in you know an offensive coordinator that dazzles again uh, you know, maybe he's got a long leash there, but the guy just won a national championship. And also, by the way, might've been the best college football team ever. That but LSU that's the team. thing is he's a trust fund coach. He had maybe the best quarterback of all time, maybe the best staff of all time. It's like Agreed. when other coaches in college football do this, we don't blame everyone else around them. We blame the coaches and right. Orgeron. Now it's everyone else's fault. And he's, and he's uh, firing these coordinators. I thought it was a bad look for Ed Orgeron because definitely one season, you're going to have up seasons, down seasons, but this said to me that Ed Orgeron's now panicking. He's firing everyone to kind of take the heat off of him, and it's still his responsibility. Like, we always talk about this. It's a head coach's responsibility yeah. to surround himself with other good coaches, and 
I don't think that that Bo Pelini is as bad as LSU's statistics were this year. LSU was the third worst team in college football in terms of yards allowed per play. They allowed seven yards per play. That's really bad. Every time someone snapped the ball against LSU, they're averaging seven yards. That's crazy. That is insane. And so I don't think it's all Bo Pelini, but Ed Orgeron is looking for people to blame so they heats off of him. And I think we can look at another power program who recruits just as well, and a new coach has taken over recently. Ryan Day. And even though Ryan Day hasn't won a national championship, and I'm still think the book's out on Ryan Day, look where those two programs are. And it's easy to say, well, Ed Orgeron won a, a championship last year, but he had the best quarterback, best staff around him. The staff leaves, quarterback leaves. Now they're an average team. Ryan Day with Ohio State, a lot of the staff left uh, as well. He had to build a lot of his own staff. A lot of the great players left, but he's still winning. So yeah. Ed Orgeron has to do better, in my opinion, if he's going to keep his job. It's obviously up to the AD down there, obviously up to the competitiveness of the SEC. But right now, I think, for me, Ed Orgeron's stock is very low right now. Yeah, no doubt. And look, I'm not trying to say he's not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to give him a full pass on this, but the truth is that two years yeah. ago, Two years ago, he hadn't assembled the staff. You know, look, you, you at least have to give him another chance to pull together a staff. I mean, Joe Burrow was only there two years. He brought in a transfer quarterback. The first year, it looked decent. It wasn't great. Then he brings in the offensive uh, guy, uh, Joe, Joe Brady. Brady. Um, and it, everything just skyrockets from there. So he can still recruit. Next year, they're not going to be nearly as young and depleted, I think, talent-wise. Uh, these guys will have a year, you know, a year under their belt of experience. I'm not saying that he's... I mean, look, he's obviously not Nick Saban. Nick Saban can lose his whole staff and the next year bring in new guys, new players, still win 10 or, or 12 games and be in contention for the SEC in a national championship, right? But that's and, what and, LSU and, should do. Bro, I, I, I don't know that, that, that you can set any any school to the standard that Alabama has okay, made. Okay. You know what that, I mean? That's fair. Maybe not that high, but LSU is in that rare category of teams where they don't have to do anything. They have to not hurt themselves in recruiting, right. and they're going to have a top 10 class. There's yeah. only a couple schools like that. Now it's Auburn, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. They're always top 10. Oh, I agree, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to steal a line from the office in when Ryan said that uh, I can't build a car, but I can run GM. And I, <laughs> I, I think I, I can run, I can be the GM. And I think that's where... Edo is is he just doesn't have the guys that can build the car yet but once that car right. is there i think he can lead it really well because he seems more like of a of a rah-rah guy that will make you want to run through a wall for yeah, sure exactly. definitely you know? not yeah. a big x's and o's guys but look you don't have to be an x's and o's right. guys there is no one way to do it yeah but. and look he proved that he can do it and i'm not saying that you know, this was a really bad year and if he has another year like that i think he probably will be fired but I think you got to give him another chance to maybe bring in some staff that works better with the personnel, whatever it is, and see, you know, maybe this year it was a fluke and we don't know, but I don't think you, the guy just won a championship. I don't think you can rush to fire him just yet. Will's more patient than I am. I love me some Coach O. I just, I want to <laughs> see that guy there till he dies, to be honest with you. Um, also, Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, finally got the axe. Uh, you know, when he first came, he, he spent five years at Michigan. His first two years, the defense was incredible. And then basically every year after those first two, it started to get worse and worse, which culminated with this year, Michigan's defense was like outside the top 100 in almost every stat. Um, he's fired. There are some rumors kind of rumbling about who uh, Jim Harbaugh might hire, but nothing official yet. Some people are saying Derek Mason, the fired coach from Vanderbilt, the fired head coach. He was a defensive coordinator with Harbaugh at Stanford for, for a year and seemed to do well there, but nothing official yet. Um, you know, Michigan had a really bad year, and the defense was, 
you know, really, uh, usually when Michigan's bad, they still have a solid defense. And this year it was not that at all. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be hired somewhere else, but that was a pretty big piece of news there. Poor Michigan. Yeah. Too bad for Michigan. Yeah, it sucks. Um, that's all we got for, Oh, you know what? Uh, another piece of news we need to talk about. Uh, just today we, we learned that, uh, Utah, one of their start Jordan, Ty Jordan, their starting running back passed away. Was it just yesterday or today? Yeah, within the last 24 within, hours. I mean, right on, on Christmas, man. Yeah. It's, it's so very sad story. Not a lot of details out as to how he how he passed away uh, and what happened, but um, very sad news to hear. And so our heart goes out to to his family and, and his teammates and his friends and obviously all the Utah fans and faithful there. Really sad story, no doubt. Um, not something you want to, you know, want to read about on Christmas of all, you know, of all time. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it just reminds you how fragile everything is and, we get on this show and we make our picks and we get riled up about teams, but in the end, you know, it's a game and what's important is having friends and family who you can talk to and, and, and a story like this, I mean, the guy's a freshman, first of all, super, super talented, yeah. but he was, uh, I think he won uh, the offensive freshman of the year in the Pac-12, oh, wow. yeah, you know, and he was uh, visiting Texas and, you know, they're saying it's an accidental shooting, but... Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you just, you know, it, it, this is a good reminder that, you know, no matter what's going on, life is fragile. Appreciate the friends and family around you. And, you know, a lot of people are going through stuff this time of the year. A lot of people are going through personal things, whatever. But at the end of the day, as long as you have people you can talk to, as long as you have your health, that's what matters. And, you know, our uh, thoughts go out to his friends and family and hopefully, uh, you know, they can bounce back and rebound. It's just, you hate hearing about something like this on Christmas. So we're thinking about Ty Jordan and, and friends and family and, and uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, amen. Yeah, we think about these guys as gladiators, looking at them on you know the uh, on, on our TV screens, and and you have to realize you know this kid's nineteen, so yeah, um, just a kid. Just just again, just to reiterate what what, what Tyler was saying, just uh, realize how precious life is, and you know what, tell everybody you love that you love them every day that you can. Yeah, so for sure, no doubt about that. Well uh, said, guys. Uh, so before, we, we do have our best bets coming up after this, but what we want to do first, it's a, now a recurring segment. Obviously, the college football playoff is a 14 playoff, and we like to do these little playoffs that are non-college football related. And with it being our Christmas episode, the day after Christmas, we are doing our, uh, our playoff for the Christmas movie, uh, for Christmas movies, Christmas movie edition of the playoffs. So I have right here a top six. Obviously, it's a 14 playoff, but we got the first two out. And uh, we all have six, right? I got six. Okay. I got six as well. We're going to see if we got some contention here. So I'm just going to go. I think what we'll do is I'll just go six to one off the bat. So my number six Christmas movie, and I've watched, let's see, over Christmas, I watched uh, four of these. So two yet to be seen. Still going to watch one. My number six Christmas movie is Home Alone 2. Uh, It's a classic. He goes to New York City. You know, the pigeon lady yeah, rescues lost in New him. York. Yeah, lost in New York. Uh, Donald Trump makes a short appearance in that movie. <laughs> you got uh, Tim Curry's in that movie. Rob Schneider's The Bellhop. I love Seth Curry. Classic <laughs> classic movie. Number five, Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. Love that movie. He's just like a, the worst guy ever. He's, he's drunk all the time. Very funny. R-rated. Um, number four. Here we go. So those were the first two out. The number four seed in my playoff is Home Alone, the original. Classic movie. You can't uh, you can't go wrong watching that one. Macaulay Culkin's great. You got uh, Joe Pesci, you know. Um, but hold on, can I give an impression of Will giving a movie review for Home Alone? Because you obviously <laughs> love it. I do. I love it. But I would have imagined that it would sound something like this. 
Now, hold on. That cop goes and knocks on his door, and he says this. Lights are on. House seems secure. They're good to go. One knock. The cop gave it one knock. How realistic is that? That's true. It's not realistic. The kid calls. Actually, you know what? Maybe it is realistic. There's some uh, some poor policing out there no, occasionally. I could see Will go, oh, this would never happen. <laughs> I mean, the movie was made in like 93. I don't, I don't think care. Maybe in the 90s. Knocks. Yeah, cops are just like, whatever. He's home alone. He's fine. He's got food. The it's cop, Christmas. The cop goes out, gives it a soft knock. Like He's not trying to wake hey, anybody he's not up. There. Nah, he's not. Let's go. I don't know. In the 90s, Jesus. anything goes, Tyler. Number four, home alone. My three seed. And this was hard. I kind of wanted to put it as the number one but it's Die Hard. And there's a whole debate as to whether or not it is a Christmas movie. I think it is a Christmas movie. Smitty is, uh, it looks like he's dead. He's shaking de- his head. Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. He's, he's very what? upset. <laughs> hold, hold on. <laughs> so so I was about to interrupt you. Before we even started this segment, I, I have two things written down right here. And are they Christmas movies? Die Hard and the early Harry Potters. Harry Potter. Happy Christmas, uh, Harry. I don't. Okay. The the difference between Die Hard and the Harry Potters. Harry Potter takes place over like months, and it has like a part where they celebrate they Christmas. Celebrate Christmas. So that doesn't really movies. make it. A, the, the the thing that makes Die Hard a Christmas movie. Now, look, it's not as much of a Christmas movie as Home Alone, right? But right. it takes place during a Christmas party, and there's all kinds of Christmas themes. He's wearing a Santa hat at some point. He's writing ho 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 and blood on the guy's shirt. You know, it's it is a to me. I look. It's a debate in my my opinion it is a christmas movie but it's not it is my favorite on the list but i didn't put it number one because it's not as much of a christmas movie as okay. some of the other ones i'm you. putting on I there but also it takes place at a holiday christmas party yeah it's got a lot of great christmas music in there yes it does it snows at the end of the movie yep santa claus kind of makes oh, an appearance. it doesn't it snows like ash but not real snow it's okay um it's takes christmas place in los angeles um there's also uh two uh god what's his name he just he just died he's both in harry potter and die hard oh yeah severus snape it's uh, uh um shoot who's the guy who plays hans gruber it's uh alan rickman he's severus snape and he's hans gruber great actor so alan die hard is alan my favorite Rick- of the bunch but i'm only putting it as the three seed because it's not as strong of a, a christmas movie number two is The Grinch Who Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, the modern one. Love that movie. Jim Carrey's hilarious. You're a mean one. In my opinion, the best Mr. Christmas Grinch. movies are the ones that are actually funny for adults, but like the kids don't see the jokes that are coming along. You know, They don't see why Jim Carrey's so funny. They do a great job of that. It's good for kids, and it's fun to watch if you're a grown-up or you're an adult or whatever. You can still enjoy it. And number one, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Love that movie. Wow. Now, dude, if you haven't, I watched it last night. That movie is, is fantastic. It's, it's, it's so, he's it's funny. Good. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's dropping zingers left and right. Um, I always loved that movie as a kid. So that's my playoff right there for the Christmas movies. I like mine more than yours. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see it. <laughs> let's hear it. I guess it's the nature of it. All right. First two out. Number six is the Grinch. We're going to have a little overlap here. Uh, five is home alone. So those are my first two out. They didn't okay. make the final four. They're in okay. some good Can I inter- interrupt you for a second? Yes. Uh, number six, Grinch OG or with Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. Okay. Yeah. A little Cindy Lou Who. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. that I whole get, thing. I get it. Where are um, you Christmas? Where are you Christmas? <laughs> um, except my girlfriend, Allie, noticed a really weird thing in The Grinch. We watched it this year. We watched a lot of Christmas movies this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening scene, or it may not be the opening scene in the movie, but it's the scene where they're telling how the Grinch got to be where he is in Whoville. And when he's flying down from the stork or wherever, you know, they're in like their individual little baby carriages and they land on the, on the doorstep. Doorstep. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, when the Grinch lands on the thing, they're having an orgy in the background. What? People are putting, yeah, I guess, well, this is for, according to my girlfriend, okay? So people are putting, fact check this. they're putting their keys in a bowl. Yeah. And I always thought that it was because they were getting drunk. And yeah. They to drive yeah, home. me too. That's but it's what... not. It's for like some like, it's like a, like an undercover. Like a swingers like, party? Yeah, like no. a swingers party. Yes. Yes. Because I've seen at part, like that, you're right. There's a thing where it's just, you put your keys in there so you don't drive home drunk. No, but that's, and uh, people are like doing the tango and like touching each other and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a swingers party at the beginning of the Grinch. Is there a key party for the Grinch? I'm Googling this. Uh, the story is based on blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, they're all throwing these giant. Yeah, so I guess key party is like code for like a wife swapping party. Yeah. Yikes. Yes. Wow. Yikes. Yeah, exactly. So that was on the Grinch. A little hidden thing. Talk about all right, jokes. Right. Talk about jokes. Yeah. You understand when you're an adult, right? Isn't that crazy? Maybe you don't, you know. Maybe ask Allie why she knows about that. Hey, I, 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 think you're right. I think there's probably a conversation to be had here. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, we love Allie. All right. Uh, Home Alone 5 Grinch 6. Number 4. Elf. I love that. Oh, yeah. I think that uh, uh, Will Ferrell's hysterical in that movie. I think that's really underrated. That's become a Christmas classic in just a few years. People no love doubt. that. Uh, Elf is number 4. And uh, number 3, The Santa Claus. Right? Just like Will. Yep. I watched that again this year. Great movie. A lot of good jokes that yeah. went over my head as a child. Uh, number two, Die Hard. Nice. Love it. I got Die Hard number two. And then number Yippee one. Kaye, motherfucker. Number one, Christmas Vacation. The, oh, yeah. The one Classic. seed. Yes. And so going down, I have uh, the one against the four. I've got Christmas Vacation beating Elf. And I've got Die Hard beating the Santa Claus, and Christmas Vacation beats Die Hard in the championship. Okay, that's good. I like that list, Smitty. All right, so my number six is the uh, the Grinch original, uh, animated, original Grinch, right? The animated, great. That one. just uh, a lot of my list has nostalgia, just you know, growing up for sure. Uh, so OG Grinch at number six, number five, I got him up. It's Christmas Carol. Okay, I don't know that I've ever actually seen that one. Who's really? in it? The Muppets. Oh, I probably saw it when I was like five. I haven't seen it since. I love the Muppets Christmas Carol. Anything Muppets, I'm good with. Uh, number four, I got The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Again, love it. More modern, like Will was saying, more modern. Little little adult, little child humor. Yeah. Love it. Uh, number three, Home Alone, the first one. Mm, classic. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when the pranks start happening at his house, I every year I laugh like, a goddamn child. Yeah, of course. It's so <laughs> funny. Uh, number two, I've got a Christmas story. Again, nostalgia. It's not necessarily, it's just a solid movie. Yeah. Solid movie. Every year you can watch it. And then number one, like Tyler, I had uh, Christmas Vacation, and I don't even need to go through the bracket. Christmas Vacation blows them all out, just like this it's year. It's so funny. It's it's a for sure number one seeds winning the winning the championship. Oh, it's so. great. That I one's like a seven seed for me. I still like it. Uh, I, I, wow. We didn't watch as much when I was really young. I, in fact, I only saw it for the first time, I think, when I was like 17 or 18. And so I only recently watched it too. Yeah. Sometimes like Tyler, you know this because we've made you watch a bunch of old movies like ones that are nostalgic that everyone loves when you then watch them like 20 or 30 years later or whatever. They don't always hold up as much. Right. So it is still funny and I like it, but I, just not enough to make my list, but still a great movie. I noticed nobody had uh off the well-hung reindeer. Oh boy! Yeah, I um, almost went that route, but I decided it was a little, uh, a little blue for the show. Nude off. How the queef stole Christmas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you Gross. know. Yeah. 
Uh, Frosty the Hoe Man. Oh, I like that one. Exactly. Okay. All, all of Santa's chimneys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Oh, uh, uh, boy. So that's I the adult also version. have, I took this to the next level. Okay. I've got a couple tidbits to add before we get to our picks. Yeah, yeah, do it. So I have my top six TV shows, Christmas TV shows, because my favorite thing is I like movies, but a big reason why I haven't seen a lot of movies in my life is I just love uh, TV shows. I love sitcoms. I love comedies. And so I have my top five Christmas individual TV shows. So uh, okay. if I can give those real quick, yeah. right, my, my first two out, uh, number six is a Bob's Burgers, last gingerbread house on the left. It's where they have a gingerbread making competition. It's pretty good. Uh, number five is also Bob's Burgers. God rest ye gentle mannequins. You got the guy who thinks that he used to be a mannequin and ends up uh, spending the holidays with the Belchers. <laughs> uh, number four, uh, South Park, a woodland critter Christmas. Mm, classic. Yep, classic. Number three, uh, Simpsons, Miracle on Evergreen Terrace. That's a great one. Yep. Number two, South Park, Red Sleigh Down, yep. where Santa's sleigh gets uh, shot down over Afghanistan. And uh, number one, <laughs> Uh, it's an always sunny Christmas. Yeah, that that's is, a good one. Uh, my Christmas tradition. I always watch that every every Christmas. So those are my top six uh, TV shows. I love it. Tyler going the extra mile. Extra mile, and even an extra mile. We've got extra extra credit. Oh boy! I have a uh, movie pitch. You have a haiku. I have a no. <laughs> <laughs> I have a movie pitch for Netflix. And okay. This is a Christmas movie. Okay. All right. So here's how it goes. So Santa goes down the chimney. But he doesn't realize he's going down the chimney of a terrorist, okay? Okay. So the terrorist kidnaps Santa, okay? So Santa's now held for ransom and <laughs> in this terrorist's home, and the elves have to get together and save Santa, okay? But the elves get caught themselves. So now everyone's in a, in a, in a predicament. The elves are caught and Santa's caught. So now it's up to Santa to, to bust free and not only save himself, but save the elves too. And this is where it gets good. Because we've got to get like, uh, maybe like Dolph Lundgren to play Santa here. Maybe like, because uh, Santa's got to be ripped, right? This is where Santa has to like break from the chains, shirt off. You know, looking good. He steals a machine gun. So now we've got Santa shirt off machine gun. Maybe like a Jason Momoa. I love it. I love (laughs) it. Right? Long-haired Santa. And he busts out. He's able to save the elves and save Christmas and deliver toys at the very last minute. I don't know what it would be called, but maybe Santa... Taken 5. Terrorized. Yeah. It's it's a version of Taken. It's Liam Neeson saving Santa. (laughs) So that's my movie. Wasn't there a Simpsons episode where they watched some funny movie where some guy saves Santa? It's like, oh, it's a kiss. Kiss saves Santa. What is that from? (laughs) Well, that's from Family Guy. Family Guy. Taken. Given. Not. Taken. (laughs) Mm, Okay. I like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on. We are we're we're now going to go on to our best bets. We have a lot of bowl games, as Tyler said, to break down. We're doing all the big games. We're going to skip a couple, obviously, just for uh, for time's sake. And we are going to hit the playoff games. And then, of course, on next week's show, it'll be after the first round of the playoff games. We'll recap all that, and all we'll have left is the national championship game. But we are starting with the Cheez It Bowl, <laughs> Smitty's favorite. Uh, the Cheez It Bowl. We got Oklahoma State. Uh, versus Miami here. Oklahoma State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This game is being played in Orlando, in Orlando, Florida. So somewhat of a home game there for Miami. Um, look, for this one, I, I like to look at... One of my favorite things to look at when it comes to bowl games is motivation. Which team is more motivated? And a coach's record in bowl games. Some of these coaches have immaculate bowl records, and there's just guys you never want to bet against. Mike Gundy's got a pretty good bowl record. He's 9-5 and five at Oklahoma State. But... 
you know, an- another thing we're going to have to look at for all these bowl games is there's opt-outs from a lot of these players that are pre- prepping for the draft. Chuba Hubbard, the star running back for Oklahoma State, he opted out. He's going uh, going ahead and preparing for the NFL draft. They also lose one of their starting uh, tackles and a cornerback for the same reason. So those are big opt-outs for them. Um, and Miami's not, uh, you know, th- they get some of that as well. They're, they're losing both their starting defensive ends to opt-outs. Uh, and then you look at Manny Diaz. He's only played in one bowl game there, but he's 0-1. Um, I think th- when you look at the opt-outs, I think it hurts Oklahoma State more than Miami. Uh, losing one of your starting tackles and your starting running back that is one of the best in the country, I think that changes the whole game plan for Miami to attack it. Um, you know, both these teams kind of had disappointing ends of the year after a hot start. And you look at a uh, two-and-a-half-point favorite for Oklahoma State in Miami – it's tough. A lot of these things make me want to pick the Hurricanes here, and yet I just can't. I look at Gundy's bowl record. It's hard to pick against. I just I don't have a lot of trust in Manny Diaz in these in these big games, and especially not to to motivate his guys for this. I don't see a lot of motivation for Miami. And when you look at Gundy's bowl record, nine and five, even in a, in a year where Oklahoma State is feeling maybe disappointed with how their season ended up, it you know that nine and five record to me proves that he's good at motivating his guys for bowl games. You know, traveling from Oklahoma to Orlando is a lot more enticing than, you know, traveling from Miami to Orlando. So for that reason, I'm going to take Oklahoma State here, minus two and a half. Yeah, I like Oklahoma State minus a two and a half here for sure. I like them all the way up to minus three. And to me, this game comes down to a few things. Well, you did a nice job mentioning the absences for both teams. And I can't give too big an edge to one or another because both Miami and Oklahoma State going to miss some big pieces who are pretty instrumental for them this year. But I think that for Miami... It's plug and play. You know, they had a lot of injuries this year. They're kind of used to that. For Oklahoma State, it's much different. Oklahoma State is one of the better young teams in the country. I think you look at their freshman class, some guys who redshirted this year. Uh, they're they're going to be very, very good the next couple of seasons. Uh, Mike Gundy's done a great job recruiting the last couple of years. So I see this as an opportunity for the Cowboys a big uh, audition day, right? A lot of people who are motivated to play ensure their starting spot next year, or at least do what they can to bump themselves up on the, on the depth chart heading into the off season. Also Mike Gundy, great at motivating his players and he finds every little piece of motivation when there's nothing there. So we've got a lot going for Oklahoma state here. Meanwhile, Manny Diaz, I haven't seen him be able to get this team up for anything this year. I mean, Miami's looked very, very good, but I think actually maybe underperforming how good they could have been to me. Question mark still out how they can be, once the season's over in, in, in bowl season. And let's talk about defense. Oklahoma State, and actually all of the Big 12 this year, underrated in defense. Very good, you know? yeah. Oklahoma State is 24th in the country in opponent yards per play. Like, that's something that we should not ignore, right? Top yeah, 20, for sure. Top 25 team in yards per play. I love that stat, by the way. Yards per play, very telling stat. Miami is 70th. Miami, porous on defense. I don't think they're going to have the offense to keep up here. So both defense, offense, coaching staff, motivation, these players who are going to be filling in. I think everything slightly leans towards Oklahoma State. Give me the pokes, minus two and a half. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, We both like the pokes there. Moving on to your guys' team here. We are going to the Alamo Bowl. We got Colorado uh, versus Texas and San Antonio. Uh, right now, Texas nine point favorite down from what? 13. Is that right? Open I think so. Yeah. 13. So, uh, Texas, a nine point favorite, uh, the Longhorns, they finished six and three and they're in the top 25, 
but still disappointed from the results. They really felt like this was the year they were going to compete for the Big 12 championship. They didn't beat Oklahoma again. There were rumors that Texas was trying to get Urban Meyer, and now they have to settle for keeping Tom Herman around. Uh, you look at their opts out. Uh, they have four defensive captains opted out to prepare for the draft. Uh, side note, I, why do you need four captains on defense? That seems yeah, that's weird. That seems like a lot, too many captains. <laughs> um, but th- those are four big players that are opting out and preparing for the draft. Uh, you look at Colorado. They're four and one. Uh, they feel very good about their season, especially after bringing in a new coach on short notice. Um, not not a lot of people expected CU to have a record like this. But Sam Neuer is questionable to play. Am I right? He's still he's going to play. He's playing. Okay, so quarterback Sam Neuer, who was a a, a a he was a safety just a year ago, right? Now he's playing quarterback. Hasn't been all that great this year, but the run game has been how they how they produce on offense. Um, once again, looking at coaching records, Tom Herman, he's four and zero in his in his bowl record at Texas uh, and dating back to Houston, of course, uh, including a dominating win in the Alamo Bowl over Utah last year. But how excited are these Longhorn players going to be getting invited to travel to the same bowl again, you know, just 70 miles away from Austin? Meanwhile, you look at Colorado, they haven't won a bowl game since, what, like 2004? Is that right? I don't know about winning. The last bowl game they were at was in 2016. It's been quite a long time. And that yeah. was the Alamo Bowl as well. But yeah. yeah, they haven't won one, I think, in, in more than a decade. I think you're right. You know, uh, I, I think I like the motivation side much more for CU here. But the questions, you know, about, uh, you know, I, look, I think that Sam Ellinger is clearly a much better quarterback than Sam Neuer. Um, and that number now dropping below 10, where before it was at 13, uh, I think it's kind of forced me to take Texas here. I think Sam Ellinger, uh, you know, it, this is probably going to be his last game at Texas in a very long career at Texas. There is a chance he can come back. Good chance, though, this is his last game. I think he goes out with a bang, and Texas scores a lot of points, and I think they cover the spread. I'm taking Texas, minus nine. We got a bit board game, Willie. So uh, yes. there we go. Um, I think this game comes down to a few things. You mentioned motivation, and, and everyone out there, motivation is the single biggest thing in bowl game handicaps. I mean, if you can decide which team's going to be motivated and, and if the other's not at the same time, that's a lot of, of work done in terms of predicting how these things are going to go. Look at the Houston-Hawaii uh, game. I mean, Houston couldn't wait for that game to end. Yep. They're making their offseason plans, and for Hawaii, that was their Super Bowl. So sometimes motivation means everything. Now, while I think it's not going to be as drastic in this game, you brought up a great point that Texas has played in this bowl game now two years in a row. Yeah. And that's not exciting for these kids who, again, had pretty high expectations this year. You look at Texas's schedule, and they're one of the bigger anomal or uh, uh, what should I what word should I use here? They're one of the they're one of the toughest teams to figure out in all of college football. I mean, their wins have been not very convincing, but their losses have also been not very convincing. I mean, they had a overtime loss to OU, three point loss to Iowa State. You know, yep. very close losses this year, and so Texas really. If things go right, they could be nine and zero, right? Yeah, for so sure. this is a good football team, but a lot of guys opting out, and I think this is just sim- this is simple for me. It comes down to game plan, and Colorado has proven they're running football team, and Texas has proven they have a hard time stopping the run once teams get it going. I think Colorado runs the ball, keeps the keeps the football out of uh, Sam Ellinger's hands. I think uh, CU is able to kind of do what they to muddy this game up. I mean, if they want to get in a shootout with Texas and air the ball out, they're not going to win this game, but I don't think they do that. By the way, Sam Neuer is only throwing the ball 26 times a game this year. They're doing a good job reining him back, not asking him to do too much. And while his stats aren't tremendous, I think that one of his, uh, talking about Colorado's quarterback, one of his best qualities is his decision-making. He's not going to beat himself. He's not going to make those bad interceptions and 
I just believe this Colorado team, sort of like Oklahoma State, they've got a lot to play for, a lot of young talent. The entire roster wants this win. This is a great way to end the season, and I see a huge uh, mismatch here in terms of motivation. So I'll take CU plus the nine points. I don't think they necessarily win the game, even though I think they keep it close. And uh, let's go Buffs. Yeah, I think uh, just just to add to the motivation factor, just um, with the whole way the Pac-12 handled the Pac-12 championship, um, you know, backing out of bowl games from teams that played in the national in the yeah. Pac-12 championship, I, I think they have a sour taste in their mouth, and I think they're uh, ready to show what's what's going on. Um, and that's just you know my uh, my blind man handicap here. Since oh, I don't do. I love it. Good got, point though. Good point, Smitty. <laughs> I got a couple more notes here. If you look at the uh, injury report, Texas has thirteen players out. And that includes some of these guys who opted out, who will mention, but it also includes injury. Texas has three offensive linemen, two defensive linemen who started this season who aren't going to be playing. Um, on top of that, CU has 22 players from Texas. So this is a big game for CU. They have a lot of guys going back home. First bowl game since 2016. Uh, I just see a lot of mismatches here. So again, we'll go Buffs. And okay. I'm pretty sure they get fans too, right? Yep. There you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we got a bet board game. I love it. Next up, the Mayo Bowl. <laughs> the most historic great bowl game in college football history, the Mayo Bowl. Is it even the sponsored by a certain <laughs> Is it like Hellman's Mayo it's Dukes. Bowl? Dukes. Dukes Mayo. Dukes Mayo. Dukes okay. Mayonnaise. The, Do you guys know what mayonnaise is? Yeah, it's just like egg and it's just egg. Yeah. Fat. It's just egg. I mean, I like eggs, but I'm not I, mean, I like crazy, a though? little bit of mayo on a sandwich, but to name a whole bowl after it is pretty stupid, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But we do have the Mayo Bowl, and it is fitting that we have Wisconsin in the Mayo Bowl. Uh, they love <laughs> they love their mayo. They love their dairy. The Wisconsin people know how to eat good food. And we got Wisconsin versus Wake Forest. The Badgers currently a seven-point favorite. This game being played in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, much much closer to home for Wake Forest here. Uh, Wisconsin, they're 3-3 three and three coming in. Wake Forest, 4-4. Four and four. You know, disappointing years. Uh, or disappointing year for sure for Wisconsin, and you know not not very you know like I know Wake Forest didn't have the uh, the high hopes of reaching the ACC championship game, but still a disappointing year for them. And this game is a strength on strength game. You look at Wake Forest, their offense scores a lot of points. They're a high scoring offense, and Wisconsin de- Wisconsin's defense is one of the best in the country. They're allowing just 15 points per game. That's good for sixth in the country. Uh, Wisconsin's offense, however is ranked 105th in the country. You know, they had two 40-point showings in their first two games against Illinois and Michigan, and then the Badgers' offense never eclipsed the 20-point mark the whole rest of the season. They really struggled. Obviously, they had a lot of COVID uh, players out. They had games canceled. But even still, the offense, just by the end of the year, you just weren't scared of it. You weren't scared of Graham Mertz. The running game wasn't like what we're used to seeing with, with Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, look, they, they'll have an opportunity – to improve against a bad Wake Forest defense, but that that coin goes both that sword goes both ways. Wake Forest, their defense that struggled, you know, in a lot of games this year, they have an opportunity to have a good showing against an offense that hasn't been able to score even against some bad defenses. Um, you know, I like to I mentioned it before. I'm going to mention it again. The the coach's record, Paul Christ, Wisconsin's head coach, he's got a five and two record in bowl games while he's at Wisconsin. Uh, I think he does find a way to win this game. But, you know, you, look, the point total is 52.5, and, and Wisconsin's favored by 7. To me, I, I think that Wake Forest is going to be able to score enough to keep it close. I like Wake Forest here, plus 7. You know, they got the game in North Carolina. Um, 
and uh, and that's my pick. I'm, I'm taking the Demon Deacons here, plus seven. I am also taking Wake Forest here, and I think that Wisconsin simply doesn't have the firepower to get margin. We haven't seen it all season, and I don't think we see it against Wake Forest, and I've got a pretty telling stat right here. Uh, first of all, do you know these teams have never played before? Really? Yeah, first matchup in the history uh, between Wake Forest and Wisconsin, but underrated here in terms of uh, Wake Forest staying on the field. Okay, Wake Forest is one of the better teams in, in clock management in college football. They're 15th in the country in number of offensive plays run. Wow. They keep that Tempo. defense fresh, exactly, and they stay on the field for a long time. So what I think this does is throughout the course of the game, Wisconsin's just not even going to have the ball long enough to do much with it, even if they do. I think this could be a live underdog in terms of mm. uh, uh, winning the game. I mean, I also think we have a big motivational hedge for, for, for Wake Forest. You know, Wisconsin's not excited to play Wake Forest. Wake Forest is excited to play Wisconsin, yep. and Wisconsin struggles offensively. So if they're not going to see the ball much, not going to get many snaps, they're going to have to be prolific on offense to, to win this game, talking about Wisconsin. So I like Wake Forest for a lot of different reasons here. Offense, defense, I think they have an edge, motivational edge here, plus seven points. I'll take it all day. All right, love it. Uh, moving on, the Cotton Bowl. Love this matchup here. We got Florida versus Oklahoma. Uh, Florida, a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now. This total is 71-and-a-half. That is a lot of points being predicted. Uh, the game, of course, Cotton Bowl being played in Dallas. Um, look, the Sooners' defense – has been one of the best in the country since the end of October. And you look at their stats this year, I mean, they really, you know, you said it earlier, we don't expect the Big 12 to normally have a lot of good defenses, but this year it's almost like the SEC and the Big 12 switched, and now the offense is in the SEC and the defense is in the the Big 12. And that's why I love this matchup. You got a powerhouse offense for Florida, and you got a really great defense from Oklahoma. And look, Oklahoma's offense very good too. You can't sleep on them. Um, and so this, this Sooners defense, they now have to face – this Gator offense that has it's been one of the best in the nation all year, but without Kyle Pitts, tight end Kyle Pitts for Florida, he declared for the draft. He's not playing the bowl game. But this sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I saw just some interesting stuff about Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he is by far the number one tight end. Yeah, exactly. Like he is, and the ratings. He was around like an eight or nine. Yep. I don't know how to do the ratings, but the next guy was like a four. Yeah, I mean like he's, he's he's the best tight end in the, in the country, yeah. and he was he was uh, Kyle Trask's favorite weapon. You know, yep. so. Uh, that that's a big loss for Florida in this bowl game. And look, I'm torn because without Pitts, I think Oklahoma's going to be able to slow down the offense. They can just focus a lot of their attention on Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver, and that can kind of slow down the pass attack. And you look at Spencer Rattler and the Oklahoma offense, Florida's defense has not been very good this year. And I really believe that Oklahoma will find a way to attack uh, this Florida defense and score some points. And yet, look, I don't like to bet against coaches with good bowl records. Dan Mullen, he's 7-2 and two in bowl games as a head coach between Florida and Mississippi State. Lincoln Riley's 0-3 in bowl games, 0-3 in playoff games. So even if I think the Gators won't be as excited for this game after their playoff hopes were crushed, Dan Mullen has proven that he's good at motivating his guys regardless. You know, look, they've been in – Florida's had disappointing years while he's been there. Mississippi State has, and he still finds a way to motivate these guys. Um, and you know, look, it's probably Kyle Trask's last game in Florida. He might want to go out with a bang. Um, and yet, look, I, I, I'm just seeing positives for both sides here. It's not one I feel super confident about either way. But if I have to choose, I'm going to take the team that's getting the points here. I'm going to I'm going to go with Oklahoma. They've got all this momentum after that big Iowa State win. They got revenge. They've now won, I think, like eight games straight. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to take the Sooners here, plus two and a half. Yeah, I'm going Oklahoma as well. For a sec, I thought they were favored. I think they should be favored here. And you were really kind to Florida in that breakdown. I think that Florida's got a lot more holes 
than than you do. I mean, I think that their motivation is going to be questionable. They, they could have been playing for a national championship this year, and now they don't have arguably their best offensive player outside of the quarterback position. You mentioned Oklahoma's defense. This is a very good defense. Now, I think what's interesting is we have to always... One thing that I never like to do is be so short-sighted and be such a victim of what we saw recently. Because that's how a lot of people bet on these games, is they remember the last game, last couple games, and that's what we bet on. But, you know, so, so you don't ever want to weigh one week over another that much. But the fact is, Oklahoma throughout the season has gotten so good defensively that it, this is actually sort of opposite. Because what's happening here with the Sooners is their early season uh, defensive stats are now negatively impacting how good they are, right? When you look at a full season for Oklahoma, their early couple games are really dragging their overall stats down, okay? The first three games of the season, Oklahoma gave up over 40 points in every game. Since those those, uh, three games, they've given up only 16.5 points per game. I mean, this is a completely different defense the first three games and the rest of the season. By the way, those first three games were against uh, Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas. So things have changed with Oklahoma, and I think that this is actually an underrated team because... What the market does, what Las Vegas does, they put all of these stats into their little stat machine and it spits out a line. But I'm here to say, when you put all those stats into the stat machine, it's again, lying about how good Oklahoma's defense is these days. And that's where I think we get our value. So I'll take Oklahoma, scoring points, showing up defensively. This has a chance, in my opinion, to get ugly. We'll take the Sooners. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Moving on, the Liberty Bowl. We got West Virginia versus Army. West Virginia, a seven-point favorite. This game being played in Memphis, Tennessee. Army got their bowl game. We made a big stink about it last week, and clearly the uh, bowl selection committee listened to us, (laughs) and they said, you know what? These guys over at College Football Tailgate, they know what they're talking about. Army got their bowl game, and look, they're going to be eager to show everyone that they never should have been looked over in the first place. I mean, this is a nine-win team. Uh, They've been a tough team all year, Uh, and look, I mean... The best indicator for what kind of game you're going to get here is look at the point total. It's 41 and a half. That's very low. You have two really strong defenses. And uh, with such a low point total, I'm kind of surprised to see this number up at seven. I mean, West Virginia favored by seven with such a low point total. I, I don't think that there's going to be, uh, you know, I, I think this game is going to be a lot closer. Um, with the funky bowl season, you know, at uh, the Mountaineers, they have even less time than they normally would to prep for the option offense. You combine that with... Uh, Army head coach Jeff Munkin, uh, he's got an undefeated bowl record. And so for that reason, you know, look, I don't think we're going to see a lot of points out of West Virginia. We probably won't see a lot out of Army either. And I think Army can win this game. And if you're going to give me seven points, I'm all over it. I'm taking the Black Knights here plus seven. This is all about how West Virginia deals with Army's offense. You know, can they stop the run? Can they be aggressive? And West Virginia is 15th in the country. Actually, they're 12th in the country in yards per play. On Isn't offense it, or defense? Uh, defense, right? In, in defense. Yeah, yeah giving, very good defense. Give, giving up yards per play. And they're good against the rush. So everything kind of leads me to say West Virginia can stop Army and West Virginia can control the way this game goes. But there's a couple things going against that narrative for me. The first is motivation. And I think that, and again, for everyone listening to this show, I know you're going to get sick of us saying the word motivation, but it, it, it matters. It, it's simply the most important thing in a lot of these games. And how how excited can West Virginia be to play Army. In West Virginia, again, this has been a, a very questionable team. I've watched a lot of their games this year and they have not impressed me. That They've gotten better throughout the year, but I was surprised to see that defense was really as good as it is in terms of yards per play. Uh, but I, 
I like Army in this one. I mean, just to keep it close, you made a good point with the low total. Army should be able to find their yards, and it's one thing to allow 4.7 yards per play as West Virginia is doing, seeing a classic you know, Big 12 offense. It's another to stop this offense, which you haven't seen all season long. So Virginia, unless they're coming hyper-motivated, I think that they could struggle this game against Army's offense. And uh, we'll take Army, plus seven, keep this thing close. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like that bet, plus seven. All right, Black Knights, moving on. The Peach Bowl. We got Cincinnati versus Georgia here. Uh, Georgia, a seven-point favorite, basically a home game being played in Atlanta. Um, look, Cincinnati, they got left out of the playoff, but they get a chance to show they belong against good SEC squad. It seems like every year that there's a group of five team that feels like they should have gotten in the playoff, they get matched up with an SEC team. And uh, you look back at the history, a lot of those teams have actually fared very well against SEC squads, but I think this matchup is really bad for Cincinnati. Look, Cincinnati's offense is very dependent on the run game, and Georgia, you know, despite the way their defense did kind of fall off from where it started in the beginning of the year, it's still the top rush defense in the nation. If you're going to beat Georgia, you got to be able to throw the ball, and Cincinnati's not built for that. Uh, Desmond Ritter, you know, he's a great runner of the ball. They like to run the ball a lot. He's not asked to throw a lot. And he's not the kind of guy that you want to have drop back and throw 40 passes, throw a lot of deep shots. They don't have as much talent at wide receiver. Um, add that to Georgia's offense is now kind of fully charged with, with JT Daniels, the guy who transferred from USC. He didn't start for like the first four or five games of the year for Georgia. And Georgia fans are really pissed at this point because they feel like if he had started the whole year, Georgia could have been, you know, they could have maybe beaten Florida. They could have been in the SEC, SEC championship game. They could have been a playoff contender. Um, I just don't like this matchup for Cincinnati. I love Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati team. I think they're a really fun team to watch. I'm glad that they've been undefeated to this point and they won their the, the American. But uh, this matchup is just a nightmare for me. And uh, I think it will be low scoring, but I think eventually Georgia breaks through and I think they win this game uh, enough to cover the seven-point spread. I'm taking the dogs. I'm taking the dogs also. And I was hoping we'd have more bet board games today. But look, I think there's something really interesting that happened this year with the bull games. And... I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but Ooh. if you thought before this season that the committee was fair, wanted what's best for all schools, wanted to give the group of five their fair shot, well, that confidence may have been eroded this year. Because I believe this season, probably more than any year the last 10 years, and yes, there has been a lot of momentum going in this direction, but this season, more than any other year, we've heard all about the group of five. There was Liberty the first part of the year, then Coastal Carolina, then Cincinnati, and then BYU. And I think the college football playoff committee and, and the people who make the Bulls are fucking sick of it. Yep. I think they're sick of hearing about these power five, or these group of five teams. So what do they do? They pair up Coastal Carolina and Liberty in a bowl game. Mm-hmm. They put... Uh, uh, there was one earlier this week uh, who, who was... The, uh, well, BYU played UCF. BYU but. played UCF. Again, yep. not giving them a chance. If BYU loses that game, then everyone goes, see, BYU isn't that good. Yeah. If BYU wins that game, they go, see, they, BYU beat UCF. We have no idea how good they yep. are. Right? We're not getting a chance to see how good really any of these teams are. And then you get this kind of a game where Cincinnati goes up against Georgia. The, the Terrible matchup. Georgia's going to be ready for this one. And Cincinnati simply doesn't have the players to keep up i mean this is a terrible matchup for, for for cincinnati i love georgia minus the seven here and this is again the committee putting these teams in a non-win situation i feel bad for cincinnati but that's the way things go when you've got a dictating governing body over the sport you're gonna have to deal with this so i feel bad for the bearcats i'm taking georgia bulldogs though minus seven and help me out there's all there's one more game that kind of fits into this narrative who plays Ole miss this year in a bowl game 
uh, Ole Miss is playing. Look um, that up because it's the yeah. same type of thing where Ole Miss they got paired with one of these teams who the committee. Well, wants they're playing Indiana. So Indiana, that, that's actually then Indiana's Indiana, not a group of Indiana five. Indiana deserved. No, they are. They're in the Big Ten. But no, they, I said they're not a group of five. Oh, right, right, right. It, yes. But, but my point with Indiana is again, I think everyone's so sick of hearing. Oh, really? You think Indiana's that good? We'll send him to an average SEC team, and I think Ole Miss wins that game. Interesting. So I think that the committee's done a really good job positioning these teams to not have any success, no matter what happens in the postseason. Well, I mean, just. just you bringing up the, those two games of Cincinnati, Georgia, and Indiana, Ole Miss, wouldn't wouldn't you guys much rather watch Indiana and Georgia play? Yes, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, give yeah. me Cincinnati versus versus Ole Miss. That'd yeah, be awesome. Exactly. Like, That'd be a great it's, game. It's just proves Tyler's point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think I think that you're right. I think that they probably are trying to send a message to the to the outsiders that keep on saying like, "Hey, we want some of this. We want some of this." Said, "No, no, no. This is our thing. This is for the big dog. This is for us to make money." And I think a lot of it probably has to do with out of necessity this year. Look, they've lost so much money not being able to fill these stadiums. Right. You know, a lot of missed games. Right now, they're probably saying, we got to do whatever we can in order to, to maximize profits here to make sure a lot of these these programs don't go under. It's just crazy. Um, they're not sucks. even giving these teams a shot. I agree. Well, look, Coastal, I, I'm going to be rooting for Cincinnati. I just don't think that, that it's a good matchup. No, I'd love here. to see Cincinnati beat Georgia. Absolutely, but I could see this being a blowout, man. I yeah, think this is just sure. a huge advantage for the Bulldogs. All right, well, we're both on Georgia there. Next up, the Citrus Bowl. We got Auburn versus Northwestern. What a lazy bowl name. I know. It's, it's like a, they got well, orange. It's a classic, though. They already have the orange bowl. They already have, well, peach isn't really a citrus, right? But can we be a little better, a little more creative? This People citrus like bowl. Hey, uh, well, but citrus is specific. Uh, citrus is limes, lemons, grapefruits, oranges. Kiwis, right? No. No? No. Oh, okay. No, just li- I think Getting it's just lime. Food lesson. Yeah, lime, lemon, oranges, and uh, grapefruits. I think those are the only citruses. But either way, it's a lazy name. I mean, how come there's no vegetable bowls? We got a lot of fruit bowls. Exactly. There's no tomato bowl. The asparagus bowl. Or we got a mayo bowl, but there's yeah, there's no asparagus the Brussels bowl. Brussels sprout bowl. You know, Brussels sprouts are really underrated, man. Very good. If you, do you guys like right, Brussels sprouts? I do. You got to oh. cook them right, especially with bacon. Well, Brussels sprouts crave uh, they crave uh, acidity. So if you find something acidic to soak them in while they're cooking, that's always good for the Brussels sprouts. And a nice little uh, tr- trick for when they're done: just put a, put the Brussels sprouts, toss them in a bowl with a little maple syrup and some. Uh, uh, bacon bits. Yeah. Oh, for man. For sure. With bacon, it's incredible. Bomb. Love it. Love it. Uh, the Citrus Bowl, though, we do have Auburn versus Northwestern. Right now, Northwestern, a three and a half point fra- favorite. No idea how Auburn, I mean, I know how, but Auburn doesn't deserve this game. It, it, we should have had Indiana in a New Year's Six game instead of Auburn at this point. Uh, Auburn, you know, bad year, uh, but they get matched up with a tough Northwestern team. Uh, this game is being played in Orlando. Uh, look, I think it's going to be a snoozer, to be honest with you. we got a 43.5-point total. Both these teams, you know, not very good on offense. Uh, Northwestern's they got a great defense. And you look at Auburn's offense, it's been pretty poor all year. And you add to that that Gus Malzahn got fired, and he was calling the plays on offense. Now you got the acting uh, interim head coach. He's the defensive coordinator. Uh, I think you're just not going to – you know, Northwestern, they're not capable of scoring a ton of points in it to begin with. And then you look at Auburn – you know how are they going to be able to to score a lot of points on this great Northwestern defense? Um, I don't, I got zero faith that Bo Nix uh, is going to be able to play well against this Northwestern defense. Uh, I'm not going to bet on him. Um, and for that, you know, look, I don't love picking either of these teams. I'm not really looking forward to this bowl game in particular. I really just want to see Pat Fitzgerald coach a good game, get a big bowl win here, and have the Wildcats end end the year with a with a big win and 
Uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I'm taking Northwestern minus three and a half here. Yeah, I like Northwestern as well. I, I want more bedboard games, but damn it, I agree with you for these. And for me, I mean, you look go back in, in the last couple of years, just look at the college football history. What happens when a coach leaves and another coach comes in, you know, the interim type of coach, filling in for the bowl game. I never really see players get too excited for situations like that. And I could see Auburn being very flat for this game. I could see Northwestern being very up for this game. And Northwestern, balanced team, but I mean, they're throwing for 190 a game. It's not like they'd never throw the football. So yeah. I think they have a chance to kind of keep Auburn off balance here. And, uh, you know, like you said, I don't love this game. I think it's one of the... It's just a boring more matchup. boring, bold games. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, what's the spread? Three? Three and a half. Oh, I don't love that half. We'll still take Northwestern. I just got no faith here in Auburn. And uh, look, if Auburn had hired next year's head coach, maybe Auburn has a really young team, a lot of talent auditioning for next year, then it's a different story. Right. I see, I see a flat team here, though. Okay, fair enough. Uh, getting into the good stuff, the Fiesta Bowl, Glendale, Arizona. Uh, it's a Fiesta. We got Oregon versus Iowa State. Is it still Tostitos doing the Fiesta Bowl? Uh, I don't know if they're sponsoring that one anymore. I remember. It was for a while, uh, for all the chips. Remember to- that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tostitos, they sponsored a game in Boulder for a CU game probably eight years ago. And I don't, it wasn't a bowl game. You remember this, Ryan? Uh and there were toast. There was a bag of individual Tostitos chips at every single seat in the stadium. Uh, remember that? That was probably a mess to clean up. Yeah, right. I don't remember that, but yeah, that's yeah. It was, I'm sure it was a mess. Oh, I'm sure it was. But yeah, Tostitos. I always I thought they had done a good job in the whole college. Great chips. It, it, it almost makes me think like when you go to games and they have like the rally towels set up. Like, yes. what if everybody instead of the towels are just swinging like Tostitos scoops over their heads? <laughs> yes. like, <laughs> I love the scoops. it. Scoops. Yeah. Uh, give me some Fritos. You can really chuck those things far. They're dense. <laughs> um, okay, we got Iowa State and Oregon. Iowa State, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Look, I know that Oregon just upset Southern Cal in the Pac-12 championship. They're the Pac-12 champions. Uh, but I think – I really believe this. It's not an uncommon opinion that the Big 12 is in another class compared to the Pac-12 right now. Uh, Oregon, they were able to out-physical USC in that game. They're not going to be able to do that to the Cyclone team. It's a tough team on defense and offense. I think Iowa State, they're going to be able to run the ball well against Oregon. I think you see Brees Hall have a big game. I think Brock Purdy's going to have his opportunities. Their tight ends are incredible. That's a matchup nightmare for Oregon. Um, Four and a half points seems pretty fair, but uh, in a game like this, I think you'll see a lot of points. I think that four and a half uh, is is enough for Iowa State. I think they win by seven or more. And I'm going to take the Cyclones here, minus four and a half. Tyler knows about my love for Matt Campbell, and he doesn't have a lot of faith in him, but I don't have a ton of faith in Mario Cristobal either. So uh, I'm going to take Iowa State, minus four and a half. Ooh, we got a bedboard game. Whoa. We got a game, yes. I am fading the heralded, the great Matt Campbell. <laughs> I mean, uh, most people's big board, there's Nick Saban number one and this guy number two. This guy can do no wrong in a lot of eyes of college football so watchers. Mean. But Yeah, he's, uh, you know what? I think this guy's got to prove it. And he gets a nice little matchup here with an Oregon team who has not looked good this year. Oregon has lost some bad games. They lost to Oregon State. You know, the, this is a team. We started the season with such high expectations, and then things kind of fell apart. Now, I think they get a boost from beating USC, but let's face it, the Pac-12 is not very good this year. The reason why I'm taking Oregon this game is I think they have kind of a unique situation here because Iowa State does a lot well defensively. We know this. We've seen this all year long. But Oregon, for a, a, a rare Oregon team, they can actually be balanced. See, the last couple of years with Oregon, we've got so used to them 
running the or uh, throwing the football, spread offense, throw the football, and then they would open things up with the run. This year, it's a little different. They're not afraid to run the football and open up the pass with the run. And I think Iowa State struggles. I think that Oregon gets their yards, gets a big lead, and I actually could see a motivational edge here for the Oregon Ducks. You know, Iowa State, a team who has played good opponents all year, they had a chance to to come away with the Big 12, it seemed, and then things kind of fell apart. So I think we get a big motivational edge here for the Ducks. I think they do what they want on offense. And this, to me, may be one of the more surprising bowl games of the season because everyone's going to say, I can't believe Oregon. They're 4-2. and two. They're out of the shitty Pac-12. How'd they do this? And we all know what everyone thinks about Matt Campbell and Iowa State, but I believe Oregon could get the win here. They at least keep it close enough to cover the spread. We'll take Oregon plus four and a half. Let's go Ducks. Yeah, see, when I was looking at the outline, I, 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 I'd take the Ducks outright on this one. I, I think they're, I, I think they're not only motivation, but I also look at trends. And I think Iowa State came out so hot out of the gates, and they've kind of stumbled throughout this past uh, few weeks especially with the Big 12 championship. Yeah, they came back, but they were never really in that game. Right. And I think Oregon's got got a lot of motivation, a lot of uh, momentum going into well, this game. So, And, and the, these teams have gone in opposite directions. See, Oregon started really slow, slow out of the gates, and now they're hitting their stride. Iowa State started fast, and then they kind of slumped off. So I just think that we're taking the team right now who's playing better football at this specific time. Keep in mind, Oregon's played, what, five, six games? Right. That's usually the time you're in your peak level, right. middle of the season. Iowa State's already played a full schedule. It's almost watching a horse race. You know, some horses get off to a fast start, and then... You know, they pull away in the last third, you know, last leg. Yeah, exactly. So we'll take Oregon. I'm on that horse. Come on. Pac-12 fanboys, strike again. Okay, (laughs) I'm going with Iowa State. Uh, I'm glad we got another bedboard game, though. Uh, Next up, we're really getting into the uh, the nitty-gritty here. We got the Orange Bowl. We got North Carolina plus seven versus Texas A&M. This game in Miami, Florida. Uh, Look, this is a classic letdown spot for a team that feels like they got the shaft and doesn't want to be there with with Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher and his team feel like they should have been in the playoff, not Notre Dame. Uh, when that happens historically in college football, it becomes that much harder for the coach to motivate his guys and get up for a game like this, especially when he came out and said, we think we're, we're deserving of the playoff. You know, uh, back in the day before the playoff came around, you had the New Year's Six Bowls were the ones that teams fought for, and then the next one out was always the Holiday Bowl. And it was like a big bowl game, but it wasn't a New Year's Six Bowl. And every time the team that felt like they got the shaft and didn't get the New York Six, New York Six, New York, goodness gracious, New he, Year's Six Bowl, the New Year's New York Six, uh, they would they would get the Holiday Bowl against a lower team that was excited to be there, and they would always lose. They would it always be a close game. This is that same spot. Uh, if this was a regular season game or a playoff game, I have no doubt that Texas A&M would take care of business here. Uh, but now they don't want to be there. They wanted to be in the playoff. You know, they they had they were a one loss SEC team, um, and they just feel like they deserve to be in that playoff. And North Carolina, they're looking at this game as an opportunity to prove themselves. You know, they like this matchup. Um, they can end the season on a good note against a top level team in Texas A&M. Uh, you know. Uh, the Aggies defense, it's really good. But once again, I just think the motivation factor here is too much. I like the Tar Heels to keep it close and maybe win outright. I'm taking North Carolina plus seven. Yeah, I like North Carolina plus seven as well. I think this offense is way too prolific. This is the number three offense in the country in terms of yards per, yards per play. Yep. They move the ball well. They get up and down the field, and Mac Brown will have his guys ready to go. Big motivational mismatch here. North Carolina, this is going to be... 
their game of the season. They're going to show up to this thing ready to go. It's not just the the bowl that's bigger than anyone thought they'd get at the beginning of the year. It's the fact they're playing Texas A&M. And they can say as a locker room, guys, this is the team that would be in if any of those other top four lost. Let's go make a statement. And I think North Carolina does. They show up. And on the other end, I mean, I'm, I, I just have no idea what the motivation is going to be like uh, for the Aggies. Yeah, you for know? sure. No idea. They don't want to be there. All. No, Jimbo Fisher, uh, Jimbo Fisher is... He was pissed after the rankings. Yep. I don't blame him. He's voicing his concern, but I just wonder if his mind's in the right place. It seems like everyone right now around the program of Texas A&M is stuck in the past. You're living in the past, man. <laughs> you know, they're stuck on that not making a bowl game. So I'll take UNC to show up. They're scoring 43 points a game, five, 300 passing yards uh, per game, and 250 rushing yards. If I'm not uh, too bad at math there, that's over 550 yards a game. You are not too bad at math. They keep it going. By the way, seven point. 81 uh, yards per play, like I already mentioned. So UNC, we'll take them plus the seven. Let's go heels. All right. We got the playoff games. Here we go. We got the Rose Bowl game, which of course is the one versus four Notre Dame versus Alabama. Right now, Alabama, 19 and a half point favorite. The game is being played <laughs> in Dallas. The Rose Bowl not being played at the Rose Bowl for the first time in like 80 years. Uh, it's it's at Jerry World. Look, Bama, that number's huge, but Bama, they've been covering large spreads all year long, and they're not going to end that this time. They could just have too much firepower on offense. Mac Jones probably going to win, be the Heisman winner. You got Devontae Smith, another Heisman finalist. Najee Harris finished fifth in the Heisman voting. Uh, not a finalist, but that offense is just so loaded. They got uh, Mims, the wide receiver. Too much firepower. You combine that with Notre Dame. Look, we saw them get eviscerated by Clemson the other day, uh, and they lose their defensive coordinator, Clark Lee. He's taken the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. Now, look, he is staying on throughout the, the, the end of the season for Notre Dame, but you know a ton of his focus right now. His focus and his time is being spent on figuring out who his new staff at Vanderbilt is going to be. He's reaching out to recruits for sure for the new school. Uh, he's not going to be able to have that same level of focus on Alabama, and we've seen that before. That happens. Uh, it's a big number. Uh, this is pretty simple. We Every time Notre Dame gets matched up against Alabama, it's just an ass-whooping, and I'm not afraid of that 19.5-point number. I think Bama could win this by 30. I'm taking Alabama. <sighs> we got a bet board game. Oh, yes. I love I it. I know. I and love it. I, I am uh, reluctantly making this a bet board game because this, to me, has backdoor written all over it. See, the thing with Alabama is in the regular season, they take opportunities against teams who they know really well to run the score up. That's for a reason. That is by design. Nick Saban knows the more points we win by, the less of a question mark there is at the end of the season. And right now... They're in the final four. They've done their job. They know Alabama can win this game 21-20, and they're in the championship. So there's no motivation for margin. And I think often, especially with Alabama, Nick Saban facing Brian Kelly in a good program like Notre Dame, Nick Saban actually, this, this may sound like a hot take, I don't think he wants to run it up. I think he wants to... to hmm. And now, now look, that's not saying if they're up... 28 points, have the ball in the five, and it's third and goal. They're not going to kneel it. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is any other time in the season, Nick Saban sticks that knife in and twists and makes sure he does everything he can to embarrass you. I just don't see the same motivation here for Alabama. I think they win, but I don't think they win by 20 points. Now, I could see them up 21, 24, final drive of the game, and, and, and Notre Dame backdoors them, something like that. Now, I'm not calling that. That'd be a pretty sick call if I did pre exactly sick. predict that. But overall, I think Notre Dame they're going to be fighting for their lives. Motivation was a huge question mark last game against Clemson. 
I don't, I, I don't put any stock into that game. I think a lot of people saw that game and they go, oh my God, Notre Dame looked terrible. They, they're not ready for, for prime time or these, this next level of competition, but I believe they are. Now, I think Alabama wins the game, maybe even by a touchdown or two, but 19 and a half points is far too many for, again, a team who I don't think has motivation for, for, for margin. There's no reason for Alabama to need to get margin this game. They're going to want to protect their... Can you imagine how stupid Nick Saban would look if if uh, their their best receiver gets injured in the fourth quarter and they're up by 20 points? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's going to play a part in his mind and the coaching staff's mind. So I'll take Notre Dame here plus 19 and a half, whether it's some sort of a backdoor scenario, whether they keep it close all game. I like the Irish here, plus 19 and a half. Fair enough. Yeah, look, uh, the backdoor does scare me in that scenario. There's no doubt that, that uh, you know, Saban has been known for doing that in the past where he blows teams out early and then he lets that backdoor action right. come back in. And um, I don't love it, but honestly, I, I could see, I, I think that it might be too much to where a backdoor isn't even possible at this point. And that could That's be. That's my prediction. But Brian Kelly, this is the most important game of his career. Yeah. And he's probably. got the talent. Notre Dame, actually, look at their talent. They got a lot of seniors, a lot of they juniors. Do. They're bigger. And so all that together, I just think 19 and a half is too many points. We'll go Irish, but hey, that's why we make the bet board games, right? I love it. I'm glad we got another bet board board game. Uh, Last but not least, the next uh, playoff game, this is the two versus three, the Sugar Bowl. It's being played in New Orleans, and it's Ohio State versus Clemson, a rematch of last year. Clemson a seven-point favorite right now. Look, these are two teams that are not, uh, they're kind of going in opposite directions. Clemson, you know, they had the loss to Notre Dame, uh, you know, midway through the year. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence for a while. Now they are just playing as hot as ever. Uh, they blew out Notre Dame in that ACC championship game. And Ohio State, after looking really good to start the year, then they started to struggle. They had a lot of players out. Um, you know, Justin Fields looked really poor against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. He didn't look like himself at all. Or he didn't look like himself at all. And that's hard to know. If that is because uh, you know they had a lot of players out from COVID, from contract tas- uh, con- contact tracing, easy for um, you to say. Yes, no, I'm, I'm struggling today. Um, <laughs> you know, look, it, it could be something else too. It could be that teams are kind of figuring out what he's good at. Um, either way, there's just not a lot to point to here if you want to pick Ohio State. Um, there, look, there is the revenge factor. Ohio State, you know, they had this matchup last year. They felt like they got screwed by the refs. Uh, you know, that's up to you of what you think. But that was a close game, and the the problem is that that team last year for Ohio State was much better than this team, especially on defense. This Ohio State defense is a shell of what they were last year. They don't have the dominant edge rusher like they always did, you know, with Chase Young and the Bosa brothers before that. Um, But most importantly, the passing defense. Look, Clemson, when they are fully healthy with Trevor Lawrence, it's just too good. And with all the problems that Ohio State has in the secondary defending the pass, I just don't see any way that Clemson doesn't cover the spread here and face Alabama in the championship game again. So for that reason, I'm taking Clemson minus seven. All right. Uh, if this were seven and a half, I would lean Ohio State. But it's seven, so I like Clemson. And here's my, here's my handicap. I think that reps matter. The more time you get matters, right? The, uh, whether it's practice, real game, reps matter. Ohio State has been maybe the most affected team this year by COVID. They've set records, it seems like, every week they have 15, 20, 25 guys who are out, like you said, well, contact tracing, COVID, whatever it is. They just don't have a full roster of guys who have the experience. And they've only played, what, six, seven games as a team anyway. Yep. Clemson, healthier, more reps, uh, better coaching staff. I just think everything's going Clemson's way here. Now, like I mentioned in the Notre Dame-Alabama game, there's no reason for Clemson to get margin. If it's 24-17 to 17 and Clemson has the ball 
with three minutes to go, Ohio State has no timeouts. They're just going to kneel the ball. Like there's certain things yep. that happen in the playoffs when you know your spot is guaranteed in the championship if you win. So I don't love Clemson pulling away or anything like that. But since the number is exactly seven, I'm going to go Clemson here because I think they're the better team. I think everything's going their way here. Motivate. We, we shouldn't even talk about motivation for these games. I know you didn't, but you know, for the audience, that's a nice, uh, a good reminder that motivation matters in most bowl games, but in the final four, you can kind of throw that out the window. Everyone's max motivated. Everyone knows if they win there in the championship, so that's not as much of a factor. I think Clemson, again, better coaching staff, better team, more experience. I'll take that minus the seven points. Okay, I love it. Um, you know, that's all we got for best bets. Now, once again, we, we started the show with it. I want to remind you guys, we are changing the name. We're kind of rebranding. We were College Football Weekly. We're changing now. We're going to be uh, college football tailgate. So what that means is that if you're subscribed on on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast player you're on, you don't have to do anything. It's it's uh, you're still going to be subscribed. The logo will change, the the name will change, but it's still going to be us. Still going to be the same show. Make sure you're following on Twitter. If you were following before, once again, you don't have to worry. But if you're a new listener, you want to check it out. The new Twitter is going to be at tailgate show. Once again, that's at tailgate show. We're, from now on, we're going to be college football tailgate. Uh, and we're still going to be doing every week. You know, once the off season comes, we're not going to do as many podcasts, but uh, you can rest assured that we're going to be here uh, for years to come. So thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week.